Last week we began a series um, called Outside. And we went over a few things. We talked about how important it is for us as believers to be outside. We talked about uh, the value and the need for evangelism and outreach. We talked about how we have been commissioned by God to go outside. We looked at the life of Jesus and we saw that out of all of the miracles that Jesus did, uh, uh, out of the the, uh, 40 miracles that were recorded, there were only three of them that actually took place in the synagogue, in the church in that time. The other ones were out in the streets, in the communities, in the homes where Jesus was, outside. Jesus was outside. Not only was he outside, but he commissioned us through the Great Commission, and he commanded us to go outside as well. So today I want to kind of continue that. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. God, your presence is already here this This word is already anointed, so we just ask that you would anoint our ears, God, to receive what you're saying, to take it uh, uh, as, as manifold in our hearts, God, that it will rest, that this would be good ground, that we would not only hear what is coming across through this stage as you speak through me, God, but we would hear the word behind the word. What are you saying individually to each and every one of us? Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. The Great Commission, Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. We went through this last week. I've been on this scripture for the past four weeks. Jesus came up and said to them, all authority, all power of absolute rule in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore... And make disciples of all the nations. Help the people learn of me, believe in me, and obey my words, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, remaining with you perpetually regardless of circumstance, and on every occasion, even to the end of the age. Last week, we acknowledged that our city needs Jesus like never before. We said that, we, uh, uh, we, we, that we've grown to love the Jesus that we've grown to love on the inside of the walls. It is up to us, and it means nothing if we don't share it with people outside the walls. We can't be stingy with our Jesus, amen? We carry the hope that this city needs. This city is ripe for harvest, and the people are in need of revival. We are the laborers that he has sent, and the church is still his plan A. It's still his plan A. As we begin part two, Romans 10 verses 14 through 15 is our, our, our series scripture, if you will. Romans chapter 10 verses 14 through 15. 
But how will people call on him in whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher or a messenger? And how will they preach unless they are commissioned and sent for that purpose? Just that is, as it is written and forever remains written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news of good things. How will they preach unless they are commissioned and sent? Well, pastor, that sounds like you. No, no, that sounds like you. It's called the Great Commission. He told all of us to go. So we have been commissioned and sent to bring the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ to this world. We have a responsibility to do that. And each and every one of us should be doing this very thing. And it begs this question. If we call ourselves Christians, if we call ourselves believers, close followers of Jesus Christ, those that love Jesus, oh, we just love him so much. Oh, he's just so good to us. Oh, we would do anything for him. Then what is our excuse for not obeying his command? What is our excuse? He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, Jesus most certainly went to church, and the church is where we uh, uh, disciple. It's where we come together to, to be together as a family. And Jesus most certainly went to church to honor the law and to obey God's word. But his ministry was outside of the church every day of the week. Church today has it backwards. We think ministry is on Sunday and the rest of the week is for ourselves. Matthew 16, Jesus said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. Somehow we figure like, no, 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 no. Sunday is, oh, I'm going to go. And then the rest of the week is, oh, that's, that's my time. This is what we love to say. Oh, it's just, it's, you know, I just need some me time. It's, it's just my time where I'm just going to, you know. Whoever wants to be my disciple. Now, if you don't want to be his disciple, I mean, that's. But whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Monday through Friday is our, Sunday in this church through Friday is our time to evangelize. It is our time to minister. It is our time to live this life of faith out loud. And Saturday is the time that we come together and to come together and celebrate with one another the amazing things that God did to us during the week as we ministered outside. The church that Jesus built was a missional church. He gave them a mission, a co-mission. It was, it was a church that was evangelical. They didn't have no, and they couldn't even get on the inside. So all they had was the people where they were traveling as they went to and fro. It was an outside bent church. 
That was the church that Jesus was building. That was the church that Jesus desired. But today, we have this tendency to have this inside mentality. Oh, we just, we just want to be inside. We want to be in our holy huddle. We want to come together, and, and this is all we want to do. I just want to be with my believers. I just want to be with my people, which is good. But when we've made that the mission, now we've polluted and we've perverted the purpose. It wasn't supposed to be a holy huddle. We weren't supposed to be light in the midst of light. We're supposed to be light in the midst of darkness. If we never get to a place where our light is being shined in darkness, we got no purpose being light. The light brings light in the midst of darkness. church has this holy huddle syndrome. Fortunately, we don't realize that our huddles allow comfortability and complacency to set in because we're comfortable just going to church. We're comfortable coming on Sunday, coming on Wednesday, coming on Friday, and that's all we do. Oh, what do we do? We just in church. We just here. And that's, that's all we do. We have to be outside because that's where lost people are. Eventually, we may get them in the door. Eventually, that may, maybe we do an outreach and, and people come in and, and maybe someone sees a, a video or they hear something and they come in, but the harvest is ripe outside of our doors. The harvest is waiting for you at your job. The harvest is waiting for you at the grocery store. The harvest is waiting for you at the gas station. The harvest is waiting for you in your own family. Outside. Let me get in this book. Luke chapter 15, verse 17. Story of the prodigal son. And I was thinking about this, I was thinking of, you know, these, these opportunities that Jesus had and these, these parables that Jesus told that teach us, that teach us what it means and, and, and the nuggets that he, that, that he gives us. Verse 17 says, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And I'm here starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your servants. So he got up. He went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Son says, Father, I've sinned against heaven against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father completely ignored him, said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and his sandals. For this son of mine was dead and is alive. For he is lost... He was lost and is found. So they begin to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard the party going on. He heard some music. He heard some dancing. He says, your brother has come. Your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and 
pleaded with him. I want to back up. The father saw him while he was still a long way off. Father wasn't sitting inside, just sitting there, man, I hope my son comes back. I, you know, I just hope that, that one day. No, he was outside, pacing probably, praying, believing God. He, pro he was, and he was, when he saw him a long way off. See, the thing about this is this father was a ruler, okay? He had hired servants. He had land. He, said, he says the, the service is eating good. He says the, the, this father who was a ruler, he went outside to grab his son. He loved his son so much. He went outside to grab his son. He, this, this, this man of prestige, this man of honor, this man of wealth became undignified and ran to meet his son on the robe. Kings don't run. But he wasn't worried about his prestige. He wasn't worried about all the things that he had. He wasn't worried about his, his place in society. The only thing that he cared about is that his son who was lost was now found. His love for his son that was lost allowed him to be, he just became overwhelmed with joy. He was overwhelmed with joy. The older brother's response was a little bit different. It was, it was very different. He says he refused to go in and became angry, a.k.a. jealous. And he refused to go inside. What, what do you see there, Pastor Keenan? Critical people don't understand evangelism because they only focus on their importance. Why, why, didn't you, why didn't you throw a party for me? Why did you get excited when this son came? Why, why do you need to point out that this person is here? Why did you call this person? And what, what, critical people don't understand evangelism because they only focus on their importance. This, this brother was so selfish. He was so focused on self that he missed the joy that his father and that the joy that the father showed towards his brother. The reason that some of us get in the body may get upset and we get mad and we get disappointed in church is because we're so focused on our achievements. We're so focused on our appointment, uh, excuse me, our performance, our needs, our wants. Pastor, God, I just don't know. Why don't they do this in church? And when are they going to do this in church? And I don't understand what, that they miss the joy of reaching lost people. Oh, I, I, I don't want to go to the outreach. I'm just waiting for, you know, for the small groups to start. If they could just, you know, uh, I, I just, the outreach thing, that's not really for me. You know, I'm not an outreach kind of person. Don't get mad at me, guys. We will never fully understand the significance of the church until we appreciate the value of being outside. The value that comes from reaching lost people. We will never fully understand the Lord of the Bible until we see the value in the people he died to save. 
We will never understand that. He knew. He knew who we were over 2,000 years ago. And he still made a decision to hang on a cross for us. That's us. That's us that's here every Saturday. That's us that pay whatever. That's us that have nothing. It don't matter where you think you is on the totem pole of Jesus. He died for us. There is value. And when we make a decision to omit the Great Commission, we have Lord, help me say this. We have now uh, uh, depleted the value that God put on people. We have now said that there is not, oh, no, 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 no. God, God, God doesn't care about, no, 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 no. He died for whether you like them or not, whether you agree with them or not, whether they voted like you or not, whether they agree with your political stance or not, whether they agree with how you feel about things or not, he still died to save them. This is what we have to hold dear. And when we, when we omit that, we just, got. I know you died to save them, God, but they don't matter to me. But he said, I died for them. Jesus. Think about the examples in Scripture. And I was looking at, at, at Paul as he was preaching to the Corinthian church. He's writing this letter to the Corinthian church and he just put it so, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19, he says, Now, even though I am free from obligation to others, I joyfully make myself a servant to all in order to win as many converts as possible. I'm like, wait, wait, because Paul, we know, what you, what you mean you, you, you make yourself a servant? What does that mean? He says, I became Jewish to the Jewish people in order to win them to the Messiah. I became like one under the law to gain people who were stuck under the law, even though myself, I am not under the law. To those who are without Jewish laws, I became like one who are without Jewish laws in order to win them. Although I am not outside of the law of God, but I'm under the law of Christ. He says, I became weak to win the weak. I have adapted to the culture of every place I've gone so that I could more easily win people to Christ. He says, I am doing whatever is necessary so that I can see people come to the knowledge of Jesus. He says, I don't care where you're from. What, what you, what, what's your problem? Yeah, me too. Come on, let me talk to you about this Jesus. You broke? I've been broke. You rich? Well, we can't all go there, but you know. But you, you, we working. You alone? I've been alone. Are you burdened? I've been burdened. Are you scared? I've been scared. He says, I've become all things so that I might win some to Christ. He said, not saying that I need to compromise, but he's saying, it don't matter what angle you try to come at me with. I guarantee you that I've been there. Now, let me tell you about Jesus. He says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. Because 
I can guarantee you at some point in our life, we were all in a place where we could use some good news. Because the bad news was coming left and right. But he says, how beautiful are the feet of those who, who bring the good news. And it is our responsibility to bring that. We have to understand the weight of this. Understand the weight of what God has called us to do. Now let me pause. I appreciate Limitless Church. Why? Because every time I walk in here, there is a new face. And nine times out of ten, when I ask them, hey, how did you get to this church? They say, it's because someone else who's in your church told me about your church and allowed me to be here. So we work in. So we work in. So I don't want us to act like this is not happening. I just want us to hold this as priority. As priority. We cannot be complacent. We have to have the same commitment to the loss. No matter who they are, family, friend, acquaintance, stranger, near or far, we have to get them the good news of Jesus. If you had the cure for cancer or a disease that was killing people, you wouldn't keep it to yourself. You would not keep that to yourself. You would share it with the world so that people wouldn't die. You would do everything in your power to cure as many people as possible. Understand that sin is the cancer and we have the cure. Sin is a cancer that is killing people left and right, and we have the cure. We must have the same sense of urgency for those who are around us, those who are far from us, who may die without knowing Jesus, unless we really don't believe. Unless we really don't believe. This pastor, his name is Francis Chan, he's talking to another pastor. He says, why is it those who argue the existence of hell live least like it exists? Do you believe that people who are not in fellowship with Jesus Christ, when they die, that they will spend eternity in hell separated from God? This is the question. Do you really believe that? Do you believe that those who don't know Jesus when they die, they will spend eternity separated from Jesus in hell? Because if you believe that, if you believe that, what are you doing about it? If you really believe that, then what are you doing about it? I can just imagine it. Just see these people. You know that they don't know Jesus, but you say nothing. And this was the thing that drove me. In seventh grade, I started this Bible study, and I was just, you know, I was on fire for Jesus. And this was the thought that kept ringing in my head, that I would get to heaven and I would stand, I'd be in the back of the line because there's always a line and apparently the line is long and you get to the front of the line and you're there and you're facing God. 
but there's a friend in front of you. And they turn around and they're condemned to hell and they say to you, why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you tell me? You knew me for so long and you never told me about Jesus. I can't have that on my conscience. I can't have that. He says, that's why it's of the utmost importance. That's why I'm commissioning you to go. And some people say, you know, Pastor, you know, I'm just, uh, there's, there's a fear there. I'm afraid. I, I, I just, I don't know what to say. Matthew 10 verse 19 says, when they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say. For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father who is speaking through you. I'm glad we got that covered. Okay. Every time. If you pray, God, show me who it is. Show me when you get there. It ain't you speaking in the first place. He will. Mm, and you will begin to speak what the Lord is. I, I'm telling I'm telling you, those who know, know. It's like it's just coming out. And you say, I don't even know why I'm saying this. but nah. Why? Because it is a spirit who will speak through you. It's just, but, but, you know, my, my thing is really, I don't know what to say. I just, I have this problem with rejection. And I really don't like to be rejection. It's, it's something with my family and where, okay, all right, cool. Um, Matthew 10, verse 32 through 33 says, So everyone who acknowledges me before men... I will also acknowledge before my father who is in heaven, but whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my father who is in heaven. Lest you forget, the son of God was rejected. And you worried about being rejected. Bless your heart. The son of God was rejected. He was hung on a cross to die. There were thorns placed in his head, nails put in his hands and his feet. There was a sword that was pierced through his side. He was rejected. And he says, guess what? <laughs> they did it to me. They probably don't do it to you. I am far more worried about being rejected by God than fickle people who are here on earth. I'm far more worried. They don't have a heaven or a hell to put me in. They didn't die for me. They didn't hang on a cross for me. And the last one, you say, you know, I, I just... You know, I don't worry, you know, I'm confident, you know. I, I'm not really worried about, you know, people rejecting me. I just, you know, Jesus is not a popular subject right now, and Christians aren't really doing a great job. And I just, you know, I just don't want to be labeled like, you know, somebody, and then, you know, people start treating me different, and people start ridiculing me. Okay, cool. Uh, John chapter 15, verse 20. <laughs> Remember the word that I said to you. 
A servant is not greater than his master. And if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. And if they kept my word, they will also keep you. He says it's guaranteed right here. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Here's the hint. Just be ready for it. Assume it's coming. Be ready for it because it's coming. He says that they will persecute you. Well, pastor, it's not, you know, I'm not really worried about the, the, you know, this is, I I can't pinpoint it, pastors. It's this overall kind of fear that I have. You know, it's all kind of all these things together. Cool. Second Timothy chapter one. Verse 7 through 8, for God did not give us a spirit of timidity or cowardice or fear, but he has given us a spirit of power and of love and of sound judgment and personal discipline. These abilities that will result in a calm, well-balanced mind and self-control. So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord. Paul says, or me, his prisoner, but take with me your share of suffering for the gospel. Continue to preach regardless of the circumstances in accordance with the power of God, for his power is invincible. His power, not yours, his power is invincible. Fear cannot and should not be a factor in us bringing the gospel of Jesus to a hurting and dying world. Eternity is on the line and we must remember that. Eternity is on the line. Not just for the person that you minister to. Not just them but their spouse, but their kids, but their whole household depends on it. Worship team, would you come? Luke chapter 19, a familiar story that we all know. Verse 1 says, Jesus entered into Jericho and was passing through, and there was a man there called Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector. He was a superintendent to whom others reported, and he was rich. Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was, but he couldn't see because of the crowd, for he was short in stature. So he ran ahead of the crowd, climbed up a tree in order to see him, for he was about to pass that way. When Jesus reached that place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. So he hurried and came down and welcomed Jesus with joy. When the people saw it, here we go again, they all began muttering in discontent. Just like the older brother. He has gone to be in the guest of a man who is a notorious sinner. I didn't even know they had levels of sinner. I thought it was sinner or saved. They say he is a notorious sinner. Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, See, Lord, I am now giving half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anyone out of anything, I will give back four times as much. Here we go. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to who? 
to you, Zacchaeus, to your wife. To, he said to this household. Because he too is a spiritual son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Because of the decision of the man of the house, the, the priest in the house, the leader of that household. Because of the decision that he made to come to Christ, his whole household receives salvation. What household is waiting to be saved by you bringing the gospel of Jesus to it? What son, what daughter, what family, what kid, what generation is coming to salvation because you made a choice to go outside. Zacchaeus stole from his Jews. He was hated by his peers. He had no trust from anyone. But because of him encountering the grace of God, he answered the call of discipleship. He corrected his ways and gave away his wealth so that he could be in right standing with God. Zacchaeus was the lowest of the low. And because of Jesus, not only was Zacchaeus' life altered, his entire household came to know the gospel of Jesus Christ. All because he found it, because Jesus found it important to be outside. 